we realize that the audience that we have, the clients that we serve, they really don't have a voice or a seat at the table of, of, of change or acceleration. So we have to be their voice. With TechBridge undergirding us in the nonprofit community to help us to be stronger technologically, we're gonna have a lot of work ahead and a lot of great work ahead in transforming families for years to come. Happy New Year, listeners. We're starting the new year off strong with episode 16 of TechBridge Talks. On today's episode, Adam sits down with Families First CEO, DePriest Wadi. Families First is a nonprofit based in Atlanta, Georgia, that provides empowering solutions for Atlanta's most vulnerable populations. They've been in operation for nearly 130 years, providing a variety of services to those in need. DePriest and Adam talk about adoption, building resilience within families, and how technology is crucial in understanding the stories of each person they help. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy today's show. Today on TechBridge Talks, we're speaking with Families First. Families First offers adoption services, support for youth in foster care, parenting classes and mediation services, counseling and support services, and much more all working toward their mission of building resilient families so all children can thrive. They've been providing empowering solutions for Atlanta's most vulnerable population since they began in 1890, making them a major player in many of TechBridge's core pillars, which are hunger relief, homeless support, social justice, and workforce development. TechBridge is proud to have worked with Families First in various projects. And just like us, Families First recognizes the cycles of generational poverty are not broken by one program or service alone. Joining me on the show today, I have the privilege of talking with Families First CEO, DePriest Wadi. DePriest, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Man, it was fantastic. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I mean, like I was telling you in the pre-show, you know, I, I have an adopted son. We're in the process of adopting again. And, and adoption and caring for children is just so near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to talk to you about, about your passion, about what you do, and about families first. So, But let's start off with you. Give us kind of the 30-second overview of who you are and what you're about. Well, I want to first thank you and commend you and your wife for, for being adoptive parents. It takes a special heart and, and just a special generosity to embrace uh, a, an adoptive or a foster child. So, uh, so thank you very much for that. That's, that's a lot of love in the family. Uh, but um, about me, I've been the CEO of Families First uh, going on three years now. And I, you know, when you're a nonprofit executives, there, there are different levels of passion that you have, you know, for community service. And my wheelhouse has always been around uh, protecting children and youth uh, accelerating families, ex- uh, introducing them to resources that they need in order to do better, and and the reason why I love this work so much, and especially our new our new strategic plan of work, is because you know our families are hurting. I mean, COVID nineteen has just turned everything on its back, and the most vulnerable families are are, are getting hit the hardest, and so. You know, as you said, Family Search has been around for over 130 years. And in order to be relevant in this space, you have to reinvent yourself. And obviously, we've done a good job of that multiple times. And so our new work and our new footprint uh, has to do with how do we make individuals, because individuals are families too, so even a family of one, but how do we make individuals um 
how do we assess their resilience so that they could get up and get back out there after a setback? Because, you know, I've been in this work a very, very long time. And I've been in organizations where we've thrown everything in the kitchen sink to a child to help that child to do better. But children at their at their core, they're going to look to their caregivers and their parents for those behavioral examples. And so I'm excited about our new work because even though the child is the beneficiary, we're going to be looking strongly at that caregiver to see if they're doing the right things around parenting. And if they're not, or if they need some additional help, we're going to put together a cocktail of resources so that they can elevate themselves, you know, potentially get out of poverty and get stable. And then that child is going to see mom and dad getting back on their feet from living in the car to getting sustainable housing, to going to, you know, food co-ops for food, you know, to going on that job interview and getting those resources for clothing and interviewing and resume building skills from other nonprofits. So it's a village to get families back on their feet, but we're quarterbacking and making sure that once those gains, you know, hit a family or a caregiver, that those gains stick. And so they don't slide back to ground zero. And that's what children need. They need some great examples so that that second, third, fourth generation and beyond can do better than the previous ones. Yeah, that's always the goal. That's right. And, and I love I love kind of your approach to this. And it occurs to me, I was listening to a podcast, I think just over the weekend, and it was talking about how you know parenting is difficult, right? For for like for anybody, parenting is difficult. But if you're at or near the poverty line, parenting is substantially more difficult, right? And and those are the people that really need that additional support, that additional help to make sure that not only are they able to to be able to to gain financially, but then they can also have the time to just be a parent. I mean, these you know a lot of families at the poverty line they're working two, three, four jobs just to stay at the poverty line. There's not a lot of parenting time involved there, and so I love that you're they're doing these. It sounds like you're doing wraparound services to make sure they're okay and to help lift them up. Is that is that does that sound right to you? That's exactly right. You know, I always use the analogy that most of the families that we serve are flat tire away from being homeless because you have a flat tire. You know, if you're like me, you know, I'm 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 fortunate enough to be able to call AAA because I don't know how to change a tire unless I pull out the owner's manual and I'd probably be on the side of the road for about six hours. But a lot of our families, you know, if a carburetor breaks or even just running out of gas, then they're going to be late to work. And they've probably been late to work before, or they're late to to get children from daycare or whoever's keeping the child. If the workplace is 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 unforgiving, then there's a job loss. Then there's rent that has to be paid. If the rent's not paid, they're going to be evicted. Medical care, you know, if they don't have medical insurance, then now they don't have money to even go to the emergency room or or um, or, or one of the dock in the boxes. So it just, it just, it just, everything just sort of falls apart. And, and we want to make sure that as we build what I call this resiliency muscle, um, that families are not so close to the guardrails to where they spill over if something happens. All, there's always a little bit of cushion out there that we can help them to obtain, or some of our nonprofit partners can kind of help them along the way. Uh, this is not a sprint. This is really a marathon level of work 
because when a person or persons come in our doors, then they typically have some emergency needs that have to be taken care of first before we could even get them to start talking about, you know, building, you know, resources for, you know, stable housing. A lot of times they need emergency shelter first. It's kind of like, you know, before you could even start thinking about a house, you got to get a job and and you got to get a bank account and you got to have to build that muscle around those baby steps to build up to some of the major things that you're trying to accomplish. So we don't even try to overwhelm our the families that we serve with these long-term gains. We try to get them first safe, the children safe, get, get, get the trauma reduced. Typically, there is a mental health uh, need, and we have a behavioral health uh, a, a cadre of support that we provide to our families. And then once they start feeling confident and they start feeling as if they're ready to get back out there, then we start working with some goal setting and some other things. But but we stick by them until the end. Even, even once they accomplish their goals, there's an aftercare regimen where we check in with them for up to two years. Because there's nothing worse than being at the top of your game. Your, excuse me, being at the top of your game. And then, you know, something happens or you, you have a mental health trigger. And then all of a sudden, you're back to square one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so the precept, I'm curious just about your background. So I know you, you, you've done a lot of things. You've held some high level roles at some really great organizations, you know, boys and girls clubs, United Way. What drew you to families first and what keeps you excited and passionate about the mission there? Well, you know, so I was, um, I, I, I started off as a corporate refugee, as they'll say, as, 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 as they often call us, uh, started off in a corporate career and I was, I was afforded the opportunity of, um, of, 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 of moving out of a corporate arena into nonprofit leadership and United Way was somewhat of a gateway, uh, to me to, to, to ignite that passion. So I started out as a loaned executive in the late eighties, you know, when I was a young executive and I took three months off to serve as a loan executive for uh, a capital campaign, for the capital campaign that they have every year. Uh, I was with um, uh, Bell South Communications at the time. And so after that stint was over and I had worked with the CEO on that campaign, I just really got struck by the bug. And then several years later, you know, I was able to move into several nonprofit roles that focused on, you know, education you know, children and youth, family services, spent a number of years with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, I was their number two guy in the mentoring space. And I saw just phenomenal gains that children with mentors achieved. And that became somewhat as a guide star for me to do other levels of work in accelerating families. And so I know that at the core of this work, fundamentally, parents want the best things for their children. But conversely, many parents don't know the pathways on how to get their children to a successful outcome. And so, you know, through my network and, you know, folks who are passionate about this work, other nonprofit leaders, other corporate leaders, we've been able to do some phenomenal work around helping families to understand that 
reaching out and getting that helping hand is okay. Not only is it okay, but it is pattern forming for their children. Because I've seen homeless individuals go from, you know, working basically under minimum wage to six-figure jobs with the right training, the right resources, the right mentorship, and just 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 with the right understanding that everybody's going to have setbacks. I've had my setbacks. You know, everybody on this earth is going to hit a rocky a rocky rocky place. But it's how you deal with that setback and how you bounce back is what's really important to being successful. That's right. That's right. I love that. Love that. So, as you know, and, and I think I mentioned this earlier in the intro, you know, TechBridge divides up our, divides up our work across four pillars: hunger relief, homeless support, social justice, and workforce development. I, I'm I'm just curious, kind of, where do you see families first plugging in to, to each of those pillars? We actually plug into all of those pillars, and and when we and when we devised our current strategic plan. Uh, the backdrop was around social equity because we realized that the the audience that we have, the clients that we serve, they really don't have a voice or a seat at the table of of, of change or acceleration. So we have to be their voice, and this is how this is how we define social equity. Uh, first, we want to make sure that our clients have access uh, to uh, mental and behavioral health and you know physical health because most of our clients use the emergency room as their medical home and we know that how expensive that is on the system and we know that is more an intervention versus a preventive uh, system of care and is is typically not not healthy to do that so we want to make sure that first they're aware that there are resources to where you know preemptively they don't have to go to the emergency room. There's some things that they could do before they, you know, they hit that particular snag. The, the second area is around housing. Um, we want to we provide a network of resources and convene the community to help individuals first get stable housing. Because when you're living in a car, as I said earlier, can't really talk about owning a home. But once we get them stable because most of the most of the folks that come through our doors are housing insecure, right? So once we get them stable and they start, you know, taking their meds if they need medication or regularly seeing a therapist, we assign them a navigator or coach. So once they're really tuned into the sequence of, you know, doing what they need to do to get back on their feet, then the ultimate goal is for them to have a livable wage job, and then ultimately home ownership. And then you're building equity. Then you're building generational wealth. Then you're, then you're, you're, you're increasing your skills. And so the narrative touches all those boxes that are passionate to Tech Bridge. It touches workforce development because as our navigators are engaging with these families, they also have an audience with employers to help them to better understand you know, how individuals going through poverty, how they operate, how they think. And we want employers to be, you know, more forgiving in how they look at 
someone who comes in late because they've got to drop their kids off at daycare and they might have that flat tire or they might have some type of a setback or they may wake up and they might be dealing with some type of depression or some type of a mental health trigger. And so, so as an employer myself, as I get to know my employees and do it throughout my career, I found that these are real world situations that employees go through. And if they have a if they have an understanding boss that can kind of help them to connect to better resources, then you're less apt to fire an individual when they have a job. And you're more apt to help an individual who is going through the right steps to get back on their feet to give them a chance versus just looking at that resume and checking off boxes if they meet the criteria. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so, so shifting gears just a little bit, uh, I know that TechBridge has done some work with Families First and, and provided some support in a few different areas. And, and uh, uh, can you give us a, like kind of a broad overview of what that's been like, what your experience has been like, and, and just kind of tell us more about that? Well, first of all, I love TechBridge. And one thing that I don't know if you know this, but um, when it wasn't when TechBridge first started, but I think in its third or fourth year, I was actually on the board of directors of TechBridge. I had no idea. That's amazing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love and so, that. And so, you know, I have a, a special place in my heart for all the work that you guys do. And I'm just really proud on how the organization has evolved over the years. And uh, is and it's just been really exciting to partner. Uh, when we when we uh, designed our new strategic plan, one of the things we're really proud about is our toolkit around how we assess an individual's resilience. And so, uh, I'm going to break it down very simply, but it's a whole lot more complex than this. But we look at three quadrants around resilience. The first is around uh, connectivity. To resources. So if a person needs food, you know, how connected are they to a co-op? You know, if they need, you know, clothing, shelter, you know, to what degree are they connected to those basic needs that an individual kind of reaches out to, speaks to those social determinants of health, what those basic things are we need to survive. So there's a a quadrant in this resiliency uh, toolkit that gives us a score for that. Then there's a score around, let's just say optimism. You know, if you or I had a had a setback and we were job insecure, I probably got a couple of thousand folks in my LinkedIn and, you know, I'll call you and say, Adam, who do you know? I'm, I'm looking for a job, you know, or I might want to start a business or something like that. But a lot of our families that we support really don't have that level of optimism that if they hit a snag, they're going to be able to get back on their feet. So it's kind of like you wake up frozen because you lost your job the day before and you know that there are jobs out there, but you get in your own head and you start saying, nobody's going to hire me. I'm not worth it. I'm worthless. You know, I'm useless. And so to get a person around that negative speak around themselves, you know, feeling doubt in their own skills and abilities, that sort of speaks to that optimism score. And we want to make sure that through the work, through our Behavioral Health Center, that they're they're feeling good about themselves, even in spite of a setback. You know, 
poverty is a state of mind, hmm. but and, and poverty is temporary, but you have to see it as a state of mind before you can rise out of it, right? Hmm. And then yeah. this the third the third score is something that I wish I had known about when I was, you know, raising my child, um, who now has her own family and children. And I guess we did okay, but it's around connective connectivity. You know, think in terms of if you were to train your children on how to build a network of resources and in individuals that they could tap into at an early age. When I was a kid, I was very intimidated and I didn't want to talk to adults. I didn't even want to talk to my parents' friends. But then as I got older and I realized what type of access these adults could have had to influence you know, my life even better than it was, I realized that I could have been exposed to golf earlier. You know, I could have been exposed to, you know, any number of sports because, you know, a lot of my, 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 my parents' friends were athletes. Some of them were business owners. I could have been exposed to entrepreneurism much younger. So when you think about that connectivity score, that's really a game changer. And so when you aggregate these three scores, you build a profile as to what help an individual needs in order to become more resilient. They may have some of one and not enough of another, or they might have too much of one and none of another in order to get back on their feet. So what TechBridge was really, really instrumental in helping us to achieve is taking this resiliency assessment tool and building a portal so that as we score individuals, we're able to segment according to race, ethnicity, neighborhood, zip code, and all those data points help us to develop a narrative around what individuals need as an aggregate so that as I convene with leaders in the community, I can inform you know, employers, I can inform politicians around what bridges need to be put into place at a macro level but then I'm helping these individuals through my team on a micro level to become more resilient. So we're working it from a bottoms up approach and then from a systems approach from the tops down. And this is going to be a true game changer in how nonprofits are viewing their clients. Because right now we've got close to 29 profits that are using our resiliency assessment tool. And we're aggregating all of the data of their clients to build this story around what the community needs in order to be successful around resilience. Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, I, lo I love how you think about resilience, how you define it and the different components of it. And, and I love that you're using, using data to me measure and, and manage that. It's fantastic. So uh, Dupree's last question, and, and maybe you kind of already answered it, honestly, but, but what role do you see technology playing in Family First's future and for the nonprofit sector as a whole? Well, I hope TechBridge isn't planning to go anywhere because there's a whole lot of work in, in the nonprofit space. Now, when I was on the board, we had a challenge uh, in, in that a lot of nonprofits were still working with computer equipment that was, you know, so old that it wasn't relevant in the, in the tech space in order for them to scale. I don't see that as being much of a problem anymore. I think that We've kind of listened to TechBridge and other organizations, and I think the boards of directors of these nonprofits have really helped them to galvanize 
to become more efficient based on a corporate paradigm, so to speak. And so that's been very helpful in bridging that that gap of what that technology footprint needs to be in the average nonprofit. But for us, we find that technology is going to be very important in our future because this is a, a very expensive proposition to superimpose so much uh, navigating on a family. And we can't do it with what I call sneaker net. We can't do it just with, you know, touching one individual with another individual on my staff. We've got to scale. And so we're using this technology to scale our work because it's aggregating the data. It is, it, it, it is working with us around a telehealth platform, especially during COVID. You know, most of our clients that we see, you know, for the therapy sessions, we're seeing them on, on the computer or we're, or we're talking to them on the phone. And some of them need to see us multiple times, you know, throughout the week. And so technology plays a huge role in the scalability and building economies of scale so that it's not as expensive as it otherwise would be if you were putting staff time in everything that you do. Hmm. Wow. I mean, yeah, that, that's what technology is. It's, it, it allows us to scale. It allows us to do so much more good in the world. So uh, Dupreece, this has been amazing. I love the work that you're doing. I love Thank the work you. that Families First is about. Thank you for the impact you're making on families and on children and, and just for the great work. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, Adam, I want to thank you and all the great work that you're doing. And with uh, TechBridge, with TechBridge undergirding us in the nonprofit community to help us to be stronger, stronger technologically, I think that it's going to be, um, we're, we're going to have a lot of work ahead and a lot of great work ahead in transforming families for years to come. That's right. That's right. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Thank you for listening to TechBridge Talks, a podcast about breaking the cycle of generational poverty through the innovative use of technology. This podcast is produced by TechBridge. To find out more about our work and how you can be a part, visit techbridge.org. That's techbridge.org. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening and tune in next week for more great content.